Well, as I said at the start of the service, my, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, in one of those spaces where I'm not totally firing on all cylinders, um, which is a great way to lead into a sermon. Um, but any of you who are musicians might have noticed, like the worship team did, how I counted that song totally different in the way that we practiced and many other things. They're laughing at me right now because throughout our practice time, it was constantly that I was getting the timing wrong. And I did it in, in the song. You might not have noticed if you're not a musician, but that's okay. Um, but I don't know, maybe you've had one of those things where you just feel like you're a little bit out of step. And what I was just glad for in that moment is, where, since I'm wearing a mask, you can't see that I'm actually counting out loud every time I step back <laughs> from the mic. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's like that. We have to count our way through. <laughs> well, we have been going through a series, and this is the last one of it, uh, called Kingdom and Culture. And we have been exploring uh, the way of the kingdom of God and also the way of our culture and how those things relate or don't in our world today. Let's just look at um, this uh, sort of Venn diagram, I sometimes refer to it, um, where the definition of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, is where God is present and life is lived God's way. And then culture is the way we do things around here. And we've seen a number of ways in which those things overlap, and we've also seen a number of ways in which they don't. And today we're going to be looking especially at what we do when we live in that tension when they don't. How we live as kingdom people, followers of Jesus, when the way of Jesus is very different than the way of our world or the way of culture. And I want to take you just to some beginning passages as we start into this. Let's uh, pull up the first slide. In Mark 1, as the Gospel of Mark is just getting started telling the story of Jesus, it, uh, we, we begin to hear Jesus start, and right away he's sort of declaring his agenda for what the whole book is going to be about, really, really what his life is about. So Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news, and this is what he said. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near... Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus called out to them, just a couple verses later, come follow me. And here we're establishing that what Jesus is about is teaching a new way. He's saying, follow me in this way. And the word repent, although it might not be readily apparent to us in English, it has this connotation of just turning around like 180 degrees. So turn 180 degrees around from the way you're going and come follow me, Jesus says. That's the message of Jesus as he begins. That's the message of Jesus as he continues. Turn away from your own directions and follow my way for life. In fact, the early Christians, when you begin reading the history through Acts, they were often referred to as followers of the way. Now there's... Uh, Jesus sort of calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. You may remember that language. And John the Baptist announced that he was preparing the way of the Lord. And here, of course, Jesus is saying, come follow me. Repent, come follow me. So the early Christians, they weren't even called Christians yet. They were being called followers of the way. And in fact, what happens throughout Acts, this is whenever they're referred to in this way, they're being persecuted and attacked because they're going a different way than everybody else. 
They're going in a different way from the Jewish believers. They're going a different way from the, the Greeks, the Romans, all the people of their day. They're going a different way, and they're being persecuted as a result. In fact, let's go to the next slide here. What we see in Acts 22.4, this is, his name was Saul, but later we'll know him as Paul. He became uh, one of the strongest advocates for the Christian faith, and he wrote much of our New Testament. But at the time, when he first encountered Christianity, he was a violent oppressor and opposer of its teaching. And here at the end of Acts, he's describing uh, that opposition that he once had, and he says this, I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. So they were known as the followers of the way, but that way was causing friction and persecution even within their culture. And so how did those people live out? How can we live out uh, our lives, the life of the kingdom, when that tension is present? When the way of Jesus is different than the way of our culture, the way of our friends, the way of our family, the way of our co-workers? How do we live in that tension? Let's go to the next, which is a quote now uh, from Roman Emperor Julian in uh, a letter he wrote in 362 AD. This is the emperor of the Roman Empire, um, and he's uh, he's reflecting on um, how he sees Christians. In fact, in the original language, he calls them atheists. So Christians were known as atheists originally, and that was because we denied all of their gods. We only had one. So we were an atheist. Oh, they've only got one God. This is crazy. Um, So kind of different. It's funny how language changes. Um, But here he is writing in a letter, and he says, the religion of the Greeks does not yet prosper as I would wish on account of those who profess it. So in other words, our religion, the Greek religion, isn't doing well, and it's because of all the people who follow it and who say that they're following it, and they're not doing a good job. He says, why then do we not observe how the kindness of Christians to strangers, their care for the burial of the dead, and the sobriety of their lifestyle has done the most to advance their cause? Each of these things, I think, ought really to be practiced by us. If you miss that, what he's saying is, they're being known for doing good things. We should do good things, too, so that more people will join our religion. And what we see here is that the Christian way was this wonderful care for strangers, people that they didn't even know they were loving and caring for, providing for. And it was showing this incredible other way. And the emperor was not happy about this, and he was wanting to oppose them, and so on and so forth. But you see here, this this problem of the two cultures, the culture of the kingdom and the culture of the world, the clash has been present from the earliest days of our faith. So what do we do? What do we do? Let's, uh, let's look here at the next slide. And what I want to do here is just kind of summarize the ways that Christians have responded when uh, culture is different than the way of Jesus. And these three options that I'm presenting are actually not good ones. And then we'll look at a better way. So the first thing that we can do when culture is different from us, well, we could just concede. Okay, we'll do it your way. We could copy the world, we could copy the culture around us, we could consume it, and we could just fully participate in it. But in order to do that, what we have to do is deny our allegiance to Christ, who has a better way. And what we're saying is, no, we'll just live the way of the culture, we'll live the way of the world, rather than the way of Jesus. Well, that doesn't seem to be the way of a quote-unquote Jesus follower. 
The other opportunity that we have, and this is actually quite present in our day today, is that we could respond to the difference of culture and kingdom with suspicion. They're always out to get us. Or fear. We're losing power. We're losing control. We don't have the opportunity to be in charge anymore. People aren't listening to our voice. We could isolate. You know, even uh, here on PEI, we have Christian communities that isolate themselves from other people. Think of the Amish. They have isolated themselves uh, from the community, not necessarily in, a, in an animosity type of way, but that's a community of followers of Christ who have distanced themselves from the culture and are going a very different way. The other third option might be a critique or to condemn the culture and to attack it even and to be out just saying, you know, on the street corners, kind of, we, we think we're doing the very message of Jesus of saying, repent sinners. The Bible says, don't you know that this is what the Bible teaches? You can hear my radio voice starting to come out from those programs I listened to as a child. And although that might be faithful to the message of Jesus, it misses the mark in terms of the spirit of Jesus. We're going to get into that in a moment. But when we take a posture of condemnation and expecting people who aren't Christians to look like Christians, well, that's just foolish. Let's put it simply. People who aren't followers of Jesus shouldn't look like followers of Jesus because they don't follow Jesus. And we can't hold them to our standards if they don't live by them. And if we take a posture of simply critiquing, only condemning, and only attacking, then we become known for what we are against, not what we are for. And the way of Jesus is for life and flourishing and abundance and care and concern for all. So let's start looking at a better way, because it's tempting to fall into one of these places, to fight, flight, or freeze, to concede, or to be isolated, or to critique and even attack. It's tempting to do all of those things because we are insecure about what we believe and who we are and who really is in control of it all. So let's trust Jesus. Let's believe that he is our king above it all, that he has sovereignty and he reigns even when things don't look like it, even when things don't look like they're going his way. Let's trust Jesus. And let's begin to see how we can do that when there's this tension present. Okay, let's go on to the next. And I want to, here's the, the kingdom foundations of how we should live sort of this life of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, and what we can expect when there is a difference. The first is we simply follow the way of Jesus in word and deed. That means the things we say and the things we do should align with the ways of Jesus. We need to listen to his voice written in scripture. We need to spend time in prayer listening to his voice by the Spirit. We need to align ourselves as fully and completely as we possibly can with the teaching of Jesus. And so when he says something, we do it. When he teaches something, we follow it. That's incredibly hard, and yet Jesus has promised that he gives us his own spirit to allow us to live like him. So our first primary task when the world is different from the way of Jesus is simply to follow the way of Jesus in word and in deed. The next thing is that when we're doing that, we should expect persecution. We should expect that people around us won't like that, but that we shouldn't become defensive. Or in other words, we shouldn't be looking for a fight. 
okay? We shouldn't be looking for a fight. We shouldn't be offensive. If people are going to be offended, they should be offended by the way of Jesus, not because we're jerks. And I think that's something that many Christians have missed in our day. So we should expect persecution without looking for a fight. And we should be known for love as we bear kingdom witness. So the way that we should be responding to the culture around us, the world around us, the people in our lives, is with love. Because that's the way of Jesus. And we should bear witness to the goodness of his kingdom when he rules and reigns in our lives and in the world. We should bear witness to that in everything we do. So let's explore that. That's the themes of where we're going. I want to start by, we're going to, we're going to look through the, the life of John the Baptist through his story just a little bit and how he and Jesus related and how they both uh, bore witness to the kingdom. Now, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew starts out, of course, with uh, the genealogies of Jesus' birth and all of that, but as soon as we sort of get into it, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, so the very start of that chapter, we're introduced to John the Baptist. And this is what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, you hear those words. They might sound familiar to what we just said, and they're going to look really familiar when we read the next verse, which is just a a short chapter away in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 and 17. John gets arrested. That's a whole story we don't even hear till many chapters later, but it's because that he is following the way of God and telling other people uh, when they're not. John heard, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, the message of Jesus was completely identical to the message of John the Baptist. Jesus was coming with a new authority. John was preparing the way for Jesus, but there was in complete continuity between the messages that each of them were teaching. Both of them were about the kingdom of God, the way of God being primary in their life and in the world. Both of them were calling the people around them to turn 180 degrees from following their own ways to following the ways of God. And so we see here, we've already seen John has been persecuted because of his faith. But there's a continuity between the two of them. Now, it might also help you to know that they're cousins. You can see that story in the early parts of of the Gospels. And they're they're cousins. And yet, there's also this kind of, um, you know, there's this incredible relationship between the two of them as we we get going. Uh, We'll see that here in a moment. Let's turn to the next slide. So John the Baptist, who was in prison, this is now Matthew 11. It still hasn't explained to us in the text why he's in prison. It comes later. But nevertheless, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his own disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, I'll pause here in the middle of the reading for a moment. What's interesting about this is, when John baptized Jesus, you might remember that story, um, you may remember, he, he declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's already seen who Jesus is before anyone else knew who Jesus was. But now that he's being persecuted, now that he's been put in prison, there seems to be some doubt, some question. Are you really the Messiah, Jesus? 
I mean, you're my cousin after all. <laughs> and so John is asking this question because he's reached this point of difficulty. He's experiencing the tension of the way of the world and the way of the kingdom. And he's like, Jesus, are you actually real? Are you actually the Messiah, or should I keep looking for somebody else? Did you get my hopes up only to dash them? Or to get back into the text, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John, tell them what you've heard and seen, the blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, John would know, as a devoted follower of the way and the kingdom of God, what those things meant. Those were all signs of the Messiah. Those are things that, you know, the everyday average ordinary person can't do. And what John and his disciples may have been looking for was for someone to ride in on a white horse with a sword drawn and defeat the Roman Empire that was oppressing the Jewish people. They may have expected that, a new physical king to come and reign, to take over, and to, to rule in victory. And so he's in prison, he's not seeing that, and he asks out the question, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one who's going to save us? And then Jesus says, wait a second, wait a second. That Messiah that you're picturing is far smaller than what I am. I'm not just riding in to conquer an oppressor. I'm doing something far bigger. I'm upending the way of the world. I'm not fighting human rulers who could oppress you. I'm fighting the very forces of death and bringing life. And he's saying, yes, I'm the Messiah, but you've been looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. I'm a far better Messiah. And so this is a wonderful thing now where John is going to be reaffirmed in who Jesus is. It, while he's experiencing this oppression, this tension between the kingdom of God and the world. But I want to ask you now, I want to pause in this kind of story, and I want to pause and say, what would people say is what they have seen and heard in us? If people are looking at us and saying, do you really have a savior? Do you really follow the way, follow the way of a messiah? Would there be any evidence in the way that we live as a community and as individuals that would look any different? Do Christians actually come across as bearing any kind of evidence that we're different from the culture around us? Well, I want to use this moment as we pause and reflect on that question. I want to take you through the past uh, eight different sermons that I've done in summary form. This is going to take about three hours, but trust me, it'll be worth it. <laughs> you think I'm joking. No. <laughs> Let's go to the next slide. <laughs> the next one here. The computer's updating right now? Okay. This really is going to take three hours. <laughs> okay. So, um, here are a song. This is what it looks like to live in the kingdom in our current day, from some of the conversations. Now, this is a limited list. 
uh, about what it means to be in the kingdom and in our world today. But these are the topics we've, we've talked about. And imagine if we actually lived out all of these different things, how different we'd look from the world. So in the very first week, we talked about our identity and how our identity is solidly rooted in the life of Christ. Can you imagine if we as a people lived with such a sense of security that we weren't wavering around, tossed back and forth with every cultural trend and every fad, but we lived with this deep rootedness in the life of Jesus? How different would we look from the people around us? The second week, we talked about a sexuality that is dignifying, holistic, relational, mutual, consensual. Can you imagine how different we as a people would look from the world if we lived out those things and how they would see us as embodying a different way, a way that is beautiful and good? Can you imagine if people looked at us and they saw that we recognize all people as having worth, whether they're people of uh, different races and ethnicities, whether they're different genders, whether they're people of uh, different intellectual abilities or physical capacities, if Whatever we did was we looked at the people around us and we saw them as having incredible worth. And we treated all life as valuable. We talked about a kingdom hospitality where our orientation towards other people isn't that we have to treat them well because they're like us, but like those first Christians that Julian the emperor complained about, we care about people that aren't like us, that are even strangers to us. What would it mean if we embodied that kind of kingdom hospitality by treating everybody as valuable? What if we responded to wrongdoing and conflict with justice and truth and peacemaking? Now, we can't live at peace with everybody, as Romans will say, but what if we responded in such a way that we were always seeking to bring restoration and reconciliation where that was desired? What if we sought to end conflict rather than start it? What if we weren't looking for a fight? but we were bringing peace. How different would we look from the culture? What if we concerned ourselves with having genuine character that goes deep beneath the surface and bears fruit? Rather than being obsessed with our image, fashions, and trends of our day, what if we were more concerned with having a deep, deep character that goes beneath those surfaces and doesn't treat other people as more valuable just because they look nice or smell good, but that goes beneath those surfaces to a deep character that actually produces fruit and good things in other people's lives as well. And what if we took leadership in whatever small corner or big that we have in our world, what if we took leadership in a way that was servant-oriented? So servant leadership that was marked by humility, rather than pride or arrogance, trying to bring things in towards ourselves, but rather giving away, using whatever power or privilege we have to give and to build up and to care for others. And what if we had that deep humility and deep resolve together? Not wimpy, not just allowing ourselves to be humiliated, but having humility where we consider other, people's, uh, other people as being valuable and more valuable than us even, and giving away for their benefit. If we lived in each of these ways that we've talked about over these past several months, we would look incredibly different from the world around us, and they would have lots of evidence to say, there's a kingdom here that's different than ours. And the way of Jesus is bringing life and flourishing, health and peace, and the way of Jesus is good. Can you imagine? Well, I don't think it's, a, it's supposed to remain in our imaginations. I think this is actually the way that we are supposed to live. 
the kind of community that we're meant to form here in this place, here in Stratford, here in Prince Edward Island, that we should actually live out the ways of Jesus and see this thing come to life. Can you imagine how beautiful that would be, just here in our own little pocket? Can you imagine how incredible that would be, is how it would affect even our province, beyond that, what our country could begin to look like, the world. Well, these are some of the examples of what it means of how we can live when the kingdom is different than the culture. But let's, let's keep going now. And John has asked for evidence, and Jesus has given it. What would our evidence be? And now we look at this. I want to look at the character of how Jesus treats the people around him who are different, who are living in a different way. Because, again, this is about us looking at the way of Jesus and trying to live that same way by the power of his Spirit. So in Matthew 9, 35 to 36, we see Jesus coming into this moment where he recognizes the difference of the way that everyone else is living. Look how he responds. Is it one of the three ways that we talked about earlier, or is it a different way? Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' response, when the way of the world, the way of the culture was different than the way of the kingdom, was to look at them with compassion. Jesus' response was to look at them and say, ah, you, you, you just don't know any better. You just haven't seen a better way. You're like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you've ever seen sheep just running around. Man, they can be real dumb. I watched one of these videos on, uh, on the internet. Have you heard about the internet? It's a cool thing. Um, <clears throat> I was watching this video. It was an aerial view of sheep being herded in. And they were just moving as this whole unit as they were being shepherded into this one group. It was incredible to see. You know, otherwise, they just kind of float around. They do whatever. They get into trouble. But the shepherd comes, and they're just all together. They're, they're moving as one, and it's this beautiful kind of, it's almost like watching a dance, just graceful and beautiful. And so Jesus looks at them and says, I'm not going to come. And he, says, he looks at them with compassion. He says, you don't have what you need. I'm what you need. And he comes with love. And he approaches them by addressing their need, calling them to turn around and go a different way, and leading them into a better way, which is life. Look also at John 13 now. And this comes um, in an important place. Um, Jesus is, is summing up his ministry as he's about to go to the cross. He says to his disciples this, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What Jesus says is, my way is love. My love will even go to the cross for you. And that's what he calls us to do as well. Jesus will say in other language within the Gospels, take up your cross daily and follow me. Give up your life in love 
for me and for those around you. It's tempting for us when we feel threatened by the world to respond with fear or to attack or to run away, to isolate ourselves, to concede and just go along with it. It's, it's, all those are really tempting. But the way of Jesus is the way of love. The way of Jesus is a way by which we have compassion on those who are different than us. Even if that takes us to the cross. This is a better way. And it may not seem like it to the world. But when you get closer and closer to Jesus, you see this is the way the world was meant to be. This is the way life is truly found. And Jesus shows us that better way. He is that better way for us. The way of Jesus is to look at the world that is different than us, to respond with compassion, and to ensure that the way that we treat the world, the witness that we have, is one of love. Love for each other, but also for the world. Let's go on now uh, to the next. And this goes back to Matthew 11. This is immediately after where John's disciples were coming and asking Jesus, are you the Messiah? And, and Jesus is now being reflective on the crowds around them that are, you know, they're complaining about John's way, they're complaining about Jesus' way. And he says something very interesting here. Jesus says, Matthew 11, verses 16 through 19, so what can I compare this generation we could, this generation is the world, it's the culture. You can use those, that language if you want to sort of take it into our conversation today. What can I compare this to? It's like children playing a game in the public square and they complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. Basically what they're saying is, you're not playing along with the way that we're doing things. You're not playing our games. And the world does that to us too. Listen to how Jesus responds to that kind of response from people. They're, they're, they're complaining because of this. He says, for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself, Jesus. On the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right in its results. What's happening here? Both John and Jesus are living the way of the kingdom, but they're doing it in two totally different ways. John is living out a witness to the kingdom by withdrawing from the culture and the people around him to bear witness in a way that is, we could call it, holy or set apart. John is set apart to show a different way. So it says, John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. If you remember how John is introduced, if you know the story, you know, he's eating locusts and honey and he's off in the wilderness and he's wearing like, you know, basically like these furry animal skins. He looks like Chewbacca the Wookiee, um, but a little different. Um, so, so, so you looked at John, who pulled away from the way of the world, and you said, he's crazy, he's demon-possessed. Guy thinks he's a Wookiee. <laughs> And he says, and then you look at me, and you see that I'm spending time with the people who are uh, prostitutes, tax collectors, people who are known sinners, 
and I'm spending time with those people, and you exaggerate what I'm doing and saying that I'm getting drunk and eating too much just because I'm having a meal with them. So if you don't do anything, you're called demon-possessed, and if you do something at all to kind of get along with people, then you're considered a drunk and a glutton. Well, you can't win in this, this kind of world, can you? But both John and Jesus are living out faithfully a witness to the kingdom, and they're doing it in two different ways. The world's going to complain either way. People will give you problems, and they'll persecute you, and they'll give you a hard time because you're different, just because you're different. It doesn't matter which direction you go, but what direction you go has to look like the way of Jesus and has to look like a response of compassion and love. And Jesus teaches about this in another place. And I want to take you there. This is uh, our next slide, I think, is Matthew 5. Yeah, Matthew 5, 13, and 16. These are the verses immediately after what Doug read. And Doug read the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what we often call the Beatitudes. But then the very next thing that Jesus says in that incredible sermon is these words. And this is in continuity. I've broken it down with a picture on the slide just so that you can see a picture. But Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus is teaching about those two types of kingdom witness in a different way. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but salt and light are very different, and what he describes them as doing to bear witness are very different from each other. What salt does is it gets in there, just like Jesus did with the people around him. He got engaged with their lives. Now, he was accused of being a glutton and a drunk because he was involved, but what Jesus was doing was he was participating in what was going on to make something new and better. What John was doing was more like the, the, the light or the lamp. You're the light of the world. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. So don't, don't just shrink away. Don't just hide away. In fact, what you're meant to do as a witness, as a light, is to be put on a stand. You're set apart. You actually have to be a little bit distanced from what's going on, but close enough to still provide light. And so Jesus is looking at the example of John and himself, and he's saying the way that we might compare this is with salt and light. Salt gets engaged in what the culture is doing and tries to bring about something better. Whereas a light needs to be set apart on a stand so that the world can see a better way, a different way, to even see the faults in its own ways, to recognize its own failings and failures and flaws. Both of those approaches are faithful witnesses to the way of Jesus, to the kingdom life. What we need to do is to wisely discern what is best for us in any given moment. So, by way of an example, if there are, um, if you have a history of alcoholism, well, then you probably shouldn't try to do ministry in the bars downtown. Your witness shouldn't be like salt to engage in that community. 
you actually will do better by stepping back and say, no, I, I don't do that anymore. But if that's not a problem for you, then you might be content to say, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm not going to drink, or maybe I'll only drink a little bit. That's not the point. What I'm going to be there for is to bear witness to the life of God in the way that I relate to those people. And I can do that because it, it doesn't have that power over me. Both of those choices could be wise and could be good, and they'll be, they'll be recognized as being wise depending on the results, as Jesus said. And Christians have gotten themselves into trouble when we've said there's only one way to bear witness to the world. And a lot of Christians like to take the approach of Jesus. They say, well, okay, I'll follow the way of Jesus. I'll flip a bunch of tables. And I'll bring out some whips. And we talked about that a few weeks ago during the week on cancel culture. And Jesus was doing that in a righteous way, a good way, in a way that it's not possible for us to do. And I hear a lot of Christians that want to use the angry card and they're going looking for a fight, and they're causing trouble, rather than just coming into the world and living out a better way in the midst of it all. Or rather than pulling back and say, you know what, we're not going to come and come with a big hammer, we're not going to come with a whip, we're just going to show you what it looks like when we follow Jesus, which is a better way. And it's not, it doesn't have to be this whole big thing, but it can be incredibly beautiful. So salt gets in there, it gets involved, but it produces a sense of what God is up to in the midst of that. There is always something of God alive in the world. No matter how dark and broken the world is and the culture is around us, there's always something that God is up to. And so salt gets in there and brings out those flavors of what God is up to so that the world can see that. That's, in fact, how the message, a uh, paraphrased translation by Eugene Peterson, translates this. When he's talking about salt, Jesus is saying in the message, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. So if you're going to get in there, Jesus is saying, if you're going to participate in culture and you're going to do all of that, what you need to be doing in those moments is pointing to the way of God, showing how God is at work even amongst the culture in its own ways. And then the other... Uh, image with the light of the world. In the message it says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. So if you pull back and you're set apart and you're holy and you're just living in a different way, you need to still be close enough to the action and close enough to the people in your life that they're able to see how God brings things alive in beauty and vibrancy and life. Both of these approaches are faithful witnesses to the life of the kingdom. Both of these witnesses are ways that we can show the love and compassion of Jesus when the world and when our friends, when our neighbors, when our coworkers live in a different way. But let's make sure that what they're seeing is Jesus and not us being jerks. Let's make sure that we genuinely are acting out of compassion and love because that's the heart of God. And so we are always going to be in conflict with the world until Jesus comes again. We are always going to be at odds with the way that the world is living, but we can do it in a way that's life-giving. And that's my hope for us as a church community here in Stratford, is that we would learn the ways of Jesus. It will take a lifetime. It won't come easy, it won't always be fun, 
He is a better way. And it is full of life and beauty and goodness. And that's what I hope the world will see in us and find through us as we declare, behold, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn from your sins, and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, may we see you in your fullness and follow you with the fullness of the Spirit within us. May we live out your way, the way of the kingdom, with you as our king in every step that we take, every word that we speak. May we bear witness to that life in a way that is compassionate and loving and, yes, speaks the truth, but speaks it in love so that those around us might see you, not just us, so that they might see and taste all the flavor and goodness of God, all the colors of your beauty. May we live your purposes, your ways, every day of our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.